Awesome. Why don't you give it up for Pastor Randy? I hope this is good. I took this from Pastor Lee's bag earlier today. And it looked like a really good message. And uh, he's gone tonight, so I don't think he's going to miss it. Hopefully this wasn't his notes for Texarkana, so it should be. Love you, brother, wherever you are. I think he's in Texarkana. So I told you two dad jokes last week. You want me to tell you another joke? Okay, that's enough. A child asked his father, how are people born? Father replied, Adam and Eve made babies, and their babies became adults and made babies, and so on and so forth. The child was content with the answer for a little while, but thought he better go check with mom. So the child went to his mother and asked her the same question, and she told him, well, we were monkeys. And then we evolved to be like we are now. The child, confused, ran back to his father and said, You lied to me, Dad. His father replied, No, son, your mom was talking about her side of the family. (laughs) That's good. You should laugh at that one. I can tell it again and swap it. It could have been the dad's side of the family if you want that to. One more. Man shows up late for work. The boss yells, You should have been here at 8.30. Man replies, Why? What I'd miss at 8.30? <laughs> <laughs> took, took you a second. That was good. Okay, last one. Then I promise I'm done. I recently said to my gym instructor, Are you able to teach me how to do the splits? Instructor replied, Well, how flexible are you? I said, I can't make Tuesdays. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for laughter in the house. We believe that laughter does the body good like a medicine. And in the midst of stress and in the midst of responsibility, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the suffering of this life, we believe that true strength of the people of God is to find comfort in your joy and to release, Lord, laughter, to see the beauty even in the midst of uncomfortable and hard moments of our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray tonight for eyes to be open to what you want to say and what you want to do. I pray, Father, for hearts to be healed, for your Holy Spirit of grace to move freely in our midst as we allow ourselves to connect with you in new and exciting ways. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Last week we started a conversation around the church being family. And I am fully convinced that church is not about an event. And it's not an event that you go to. It's really a family that you get to belong to. Anybody believe like me this evening? And I started off uh, with a passage out of Ephesians chapter 2. And just for the purposes of review, I want to read this to you again, but this is out of the ESV, ESV translation. It says this, for through him, who's him? Jesus. Good answer. 
We bo- you, you graduated from Sunday school sometime in your life. That's great. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, who's you? Good. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. Everybody says, say household. Household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Listen to it in the Passion Translation. And now, because we're united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. So you, who's you? Are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. Everybody say household. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple and your lives are being built upon, being built together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. Ephesians chapter 2 is rich stuff. I encourage you to read it. I actually encourage you to read the whole book of Ephesians. But Ephesians chapter 2 is very rich. And it's describing in some beautiful poetic detail the work, what the work of Christ has provided for us in our lives. In Ephesians 2, we read terms like that we're saved by grace through faith. How many of you are very happy that there was no amount of good works you could do to be saved? How many of you just have new and fresh revelation going off in your heart as we've been going through this Made Right series on Sunday with Pastor Dwayne? I've especially just enjoyed smelling some familiar aromas and tasting some new flavors in the midst of what I think in my life oftentimes is already present revelation. Do you know you never outgrow your ability to learn something from Jesus? Even if you think you've heard it before, He's got the ability to present it to you in a way that shows you that you've never really heard it at all. (laughs) Ephesians 2 is is rich. Hear phrases like we're saved by grace through faith. We also hear things like we are God's workmanship. We're handcrafted by God. Ephesians 2 talks to us also about Christ being our peace, our shalom, the place where we find Healing and wholeness, completion and connection. And he talks to us about, the Apostle Paul does in this letter to the church in Ephesus. He talks to us about how Jesus, through the work that he's done for us on the cross and through his resurrection, has made a new kind of humanity. Who is this new kind of humanity? Us, the church, the family of God. And the beautiful thing is, is that this chapter two of Ephesians is all about reconciliation and restoration. It describes for us what grace has provided and it sets us up to be able to see our new identity in Christ as sons and daughters of God. It describes what's happened in our hearts individually, but also what happens whenever we come together corporately. The work that God's done in our hearts individually, now when we come together corporately, Ephesians chapter 2 actually tells us that we are being fit together to become a dwelling place for God himself. Like I said, rich stuff. We could spend the whole hour and 
30, 35 minutes I have tonight to get into that, that specific, those specific passages. But I want to draw attention to something that is very important in this, in this second chapter of the book. And that is that the Apostle Paul, through his language, is depicting something that I would like to term connection. Ephesians chapter 2 is all about understanding what kind of connection you have with God and what kind of connection we're supposed to have with each other. If I was to do a synopsis statement of Ephesians chapter 2, that's what I would say. It's about the connection, the type of connection we have with God and the type of connection that we're supposed to have with each other. And I don't know if you have any revelation in this area or not, and I don't know if this is something that you've experienced firsthand, but I have found that whenever we talk about family, it's impossible to talk about family without talking about connection. Connection is the thing that we're fighting to preserve as the family of God. Connection is the thing that you're fighting to preserve in your marriage relationship. Anybody married in the house tonight? Anybody happily married in the house tonight? More hands went up than went down. Praise God. That's awesome. So you were just waiting to prove that you're happily married. Just being married wasn't good enough. You were waiting to say happily married. I got you. In our marriage relationship, we're constantly wanting to fight to preserve and deepen our connection. And I love a phrase that Pastor Austin used a couple weeks ago when he shared and he had Pastor Gabe and Kyle up here with him. But he used it in the context of our kids. And he said this, he said, we're not in a fight with our kids, we're in a fight for our kids. Have you figured out that you're not in a fight with your spouse, you're actually in a fight for your spouse. And the thing that you're fighting for is to preserve and deepen the connection that you have as a couple. The people of God should be engaged in the fight as family to preserve and deepen the connection that we have with each other as brothers and sisters. And the church, the family of God, should also be in a fight to maintain and deepen our connection that we have with the Father. Have you not found, and if you haven't found, it's just because you haven't read the Apostle John a lot, but have you not found that love for this world and being indoctrinated by the temporary strategies for happiness of this downward spiraling culture does something in regards to squeeze out of your heart love for the Father? Have you found that being addicted to the spirit of the age and being lost in the midst of turbulent times does something to rob you of the zeal you have in your heart for Christ? Have you found that day in and day out, there seem to be all types of opportunities and situations that if you're not careful, you can allow to talk you into a place of feeling rejected and removed from fellowship from God himself? Have you found that in life there's opportunities and situations for you to allow yourself to believe that you're rejected and removed from fellowship in regards to the people that you love and you respect? And we know what some of these terminologies are. We've all experienced them at some level. And there's sufficient teaching in this house alone that you can go back and listen to to explore some of these things. Things like offense, things like envy, things like gossip, 
Things like slander, things like infidelity. You know, nothing will break down a relationship if you're a married couple and you have another couple that's your best friend couple. Nothing will break down your connection with your best friend couple like if you sleep with the other person's spouse. That could probably rob you of some connection with that couple. You know, nothing will start to rob you of connection with a brother and sister in the Lord like being envious of them. Do you enjoy hanging around people that you're tempted to be envious of? You just creep on them on Facebook. (laughs) And you have things that start to build in your heart whenever you see the house that they're renovating that you would have lived in before the renovation. And you see the pictures of the trip that they took that they take every single year that you want to go on once in your lifetime. And you see the smiles in their children. And your memories are of bedtime with your children and demonic foaming at the mouth and the wailing and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever felt sometimes like you were disconnecting from certain people because you felt like they were perfect and you weren't? There's a million different things that try to creep into our lives to get in the way of our relationship with God and to get in the way of our relationship with each other. Because I made a case for you last week that actually the way that God chooses to reveal himself really in the sense of how beautiful he is and how real he wants to be in your life is coming through the people that are around you in your family of faith. I made a connection for you last week that the family of God is who reveals the image of God in the earth. That the church is the one that is revealing what Jesus is like in the earth today. This shouldn't be news. If it is, you need to get saved. Or at least you need to have explained to you what you actually signed up for when you raised your hand. Is the church the representative of Jesus Christ in the earth? Do people see what Jesus is like by looking at the church? They're supposed to. Last week I read you scripture. I guess it bears repeating. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, saying, Father, I'm not just praying for the 12 disciples that are following me and the ones that have been following me during my lifetime here on the earth, but I'm praying for those that will believe in me through the word of my disciples, that's you and me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How did Jesus say the world would believe that he had sent us because of our connection. You know, you can't get more connected than being one. So what's the war, what's the fight that's constantly being waged in our lives? It's a fight for connection. It's a fight to stay connected as family. It's a fight to release something supernaturally different 
into the earth today. It's the fight to release, not just in an elect group of three or four people, but in a community, in a family of faith, what it looks like to be proper human beings. Jesus came and accomplished an earthly ministry to show us once and for all what the Father's really like, but also to come and show us what a human being living in right relationship with the Father is supposed to look like. I would like to make a case that the scripture says that Jesus tells us that he has sent us into the earth to release his image in his glory, which means that the church who is his body should do the same thing on the earth that Jesus did 2,000 years ago and reveal to people what the Father's really like and reveal what a human being living in right relationship with God really looks like. And if the church isn't doing those two things, they're not being the church. They're being something, but they're not being the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the world would know that we were sent by him because of our connection, because of our ability to be family, not because of just our ability to assemble in the room two hours a week, but because of our ability to actually love, care, pray for, encourage, and be there for one another, to be family. God has chosen to reveal to the world who he is, not just through a singular person, but through a singular body of people called the church. And if the church is not being family, then the church is not being the church. Connection is the thing that we're trying to preserve and deepen as the people of God. Now, here's the thing about it. This connection is a difficult business. It's a difficult business because all of us are individually responsible for what's connecting to and connecting through the place that our life is coming out of, which according to the scripture is our heart. Proverbs, taking notes, you can write this down. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Listen to it in the English Standard Version. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence. Didn't I tell you that there's a fight that we're engaged in for connection and it's about preserving and deepening connection with God and connection with each other. That's the mission of our life is to connect with God, connect with each other, preserve that and deepen that. And the scripture tells us that everything that's going on in our life is directly connected to the things that are going on in our heart. It says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Listen to it in the NIV. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Here's the tricky part. The tricky part is to be in relationship with people and to be in connection with people that have all had unique individual experiences that have contributed to either betterment or decay in their hearts. The tricky part is learning how to be in relationship with individuals that are totally different than you and that have things in their heart that are good that you have in your heart that are bad and have things in their heart that are bad that you have in your heart that's good. Because our life is flowing. I believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? Then I believe that our life is flowing from this core portion of who we are that's called our heart. And because all of us have unique things going on in our hearts, some good and some bad, 
it makes it difficult for us to be in a place of preserving our connection and deepening our connection because let me just put it to you in everyday Durant, Oklahoma talk, everybody's a little bit messed up on the inside. That's why Jesus had to come and be broken on a cross so that you can live a life of healing and wholeness, of completion. Connected people are healthy people. And healthy people don't ever experience symptoms of sickness. They just know how to combat those sicknesses and fight for their health. Are you following me? HeartMath Institute published an article, and I want to read this little excerpt to you. And it says this, In this section, we'll discuss the magnetic fields produced by the heart and how they're involved in energetic communication. Here's the whole point. I'm going to make a case for something here. Your heart, right here, everybody put your hand on your heart, has an electrical field that's about 60 times greater in amplitude than the electrical activity generated by your brain. This means this, that your heart... The magnetic field, the electromagnetic field, the energy that's released from your heart is more than 100 times greater in strength than the field generated by the brain. And here's the thing. The energy that's being released from your heart can be detected up to three feet away in all directions around you. So when the Bible says that there's actually life flowing from your heart, it's telling the truth. It's like this bubble three feet around you. Have you ever stepped into somebody's bubble that you wanted to be in connection with but immediately found out that you were not wanted in their bubble? Here's the tough part of modeling family is that everybody's a little bit broken. And we all experience brokenness in different ways. And a lot of us are addicted to our brokenness Instead of learning to accept our healing. And if you'll think of it this way, all of us have this bubble, this life, this energy around us that's detectable. Have you ever been around people that when you're with them, you feel like you can do anything? Have you ever been around people that when you're with them, you can actually tangibly sense God in a way that's hard to do by yourself. Are there people in your life that whenever you're around them, you feel more confident in your gifts and your abilities? Are there people in your life that when you're around them, you want to run away? Are there people in your life that when you're around them, they drain you? They don't add value to you. They suck value out of you. Are there people in your life that whatever you're around them, you are tremendously agitated, frustrated, and you have no idea why? And sometimes you question whether or not you're even a good Christian because you cannot stand being around that particular person. Okay, 15 honest people. Is there nobody in your life? How many of you love God? Raise your hand. How many of you love people? How many of you have some people that you can't stand to be around more than five minutes? Praise God, revival is hitting. Touch them, Lord, just honesty. I'm gonna drop honest bombs everywhere. I would like to propose to you tonight that what you're experiencing whenever you're around that person is their life. What you're experiencing whenever you're around that person is actually what's going on under the hood of their car. 
what you're experiencing whenever you're around that person is actually the thing that has robbed them of connection with God and connection in Christ-centered community their entire life. And there are two things that I have found that have a unique way to totally dismantle connection and destroy family, and it's this. Orphan mentality and poverty mentality. We refer to these things as spirits in the, in the charismatic world sometimes. And we refer it to that way because whenever we're around that person, there's something invisible that we pick up on that makes us feel bad, so we classify it as a spirit. I'm cool with that. And I'm not saying that there isn't this real demonic spirit that is the poverty spirit. And I'm not saying that there couldn't be this actual demonic spirit that's an orphan spirit. I'm not saying that, but I want to talk about it more along the lines of a mentality, if that's okay, or a mindset. I want to talk to you about it in this way that the scripture also tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I want to talk to you about an ingrained thought pattern that's been formed in you and that has piece by piece been erected in your heart from the time that you've been a child. And it has the potential to rob you of deep connection with God and deep connection with people. Because the orphan mentality and the poverty mentality seek to do a couple things. The orphan mentality in your life or the orphan spirit in your life seeks for you to constantly be rejected by everybody that you're close to. And the poverty mentality wants to shackle your dreams and keep you from being able to imagine a future any better than the one you're currently living. The problem is, as a kingdom person and somebody that has connection with God, God is far from being an orphan. And God's far from being poor. So hanging around with God can sometimes challenge these mindsets in our lives, but a lot of times it's not hanging around with God in our unique, that's a strong term, Pastor Zach, back up, in our unique, flawed, devotional time with the Lord because we've actually erected a concept of God in our devotional time that panders to our orphan mentality and our poverty mentality. So a lot of times we don't uncover that it's there in our personal devotion time with God, but we do uncover it when it's there, when we are connected to people that think and live the exact opposite. And these people are intimidating to us, and these people frustrate us, and they aggravate us as much as they're aggravated by us. I've said a lot. And I haven't given you some scriptures. So I need to do that before you get really nervous. Why do I believe in these things? Well, I believe in these things because I believe that God is the opposite of all these things. And I believe that the devil is not creative. He has no creative bone in his body. He just takes and perverts the good things that God has created. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verses 25 through 29. And then I'm going to talk to you about some of these mentalities in the 12 minutes I have left and give you some tools to be able to overcome them in your life and not only in your life, but how to be able to influence the atmosphere, if you will, that people that carry these things are releasing into your life. Does that sound okay? Okay, five people want to know. All right, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 through 29. 
Paul is talking about the transitionary period now between being under the law and being under grace. How many of you are thankful that we're under grace? But when faith comes, the law is, the law is no longer in force. Is that a passion translation? Since we've already entered into life. He's talking about being right with God by faith, not by keeping the law. You have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus, the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one, and now you're covered and clothed with his anointing. And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. And since you've been united to Jesus, the Messiah, you are now Abraham's child and inherit all the promises of the kingdom well. Realm, let me tell you this. Galatians 3, verse 29 in the ESV. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. I don't know if you know this, but Abraham was incredibly wealthy. And I don't know if you know this, but God is incredibly wealthy. And if you're heirs of God, that means that you're going to have wealth. There he goes, talking about having money. No, no, you're locked into a poverty mentality and don't know it if you think wealth is about money. It's part of it, but wealth is far more than money. See, part of a poverty mentality is being controlled by money. True people that operate in kingdom wealth aren't controlled by money. They figured out that money is a good servant, but it's a lousy master. People locked into a poverty mentality are enslaved by money. Money controls their emotion. Money controls their attitude. And it doesn't matter what good news comes out of the word of God, the joy in your heart's totally able to be robbed as soon as you see your account balance. Welcome to a poverty mentality. Praise God, I'm preaching dangerous tonight. Galatians 4, 1 through 9, let's continue. And he says this, I mean that the heir as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Welcome to why most Christians are frustrated. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption. Everybody say adoption. What's the opposite of being adopted? Being an orphan. As sons. And because you are sons, which implies daughters also. Can I get a woot-woot from the ladies? God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Man. The spirit of of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave or an orphan, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. What's an heir? Somebody that's about to inherit a lot of wealth. Which is why it's tough to manage kingdom resources with a poverty mind. (sighs) Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Like money. Like status. Like acceptance. Like likes on Facebook. But now that you've come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? What does an orphan mentality look like? An orphan mentality looks like believing 
that you are unlovable. You are deeply flawed. And if anybody gets close to you, they will find out your flaw and they will reject you. It looks like feeling constantly like you're only worthy of one thing, being rejected. People that live their life from a heart think, from a place in their heart of orphanhood, not only believe that they're worthy of rejection, they convince everybody else that they are too. By behaving in ways that makes the person want to reject them. People with an orphan mentality live at a place of orphanhood in their heart, constantly say things like, no one gets me. No one understands me. They feel like they have to make their own way in the world because nobody's ever been there for them. They crave community, but they reject it because people can't be trusted. In the relationships with people that have actually liked them or loved them, they're totally codependent. Their emotions, their attitudes are totally based upon what the other person thinks and feels about them. What does a poverty mentality look like? Poverty mentality usually manifests as a hatred, not just a dislike, but a hatred of change or growth, a suspicion of big things. If it gets too big, if the town grows too much, if they tear that old building down, poverty mentality have a deep-seated belief that anybody that's wealthy got there dishonestly. And they believe that people that are wealthy got there dishonestly and at their core are conniving. They're cheats. People with a poverty mentality, their philosophy for life is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's worked for me this long. Poverty mentality constantly says things like, every time I try to take one step forward, I just take two steps back. <laughs> Poverty mentality, always suspicious and or envious of the success of other people. Poverty mentality says, well, I'd be more generous if I had more stuff. Poverty mentality goes this way. They put out the pizza that you like at the pizza buffet and you get your plate and you get all of it just in case somebody else gets there before you do. Because God knows there's not a guy in the back cranking out pizzas all day. And you can actually go up and tell the guy, I would like this particular type of pizza and he'll put it out for you. And as soon as the fresh tray of whatever comes out, you're knocking down old ladies and old men and walkers to get there because I got to get it fresh. Poverty mentality. Don't throw that away. I was raised that we never throw away food. Don't throw it away. There can be nothing left. There can be two, two half pieces of a chicken nugget. Don't throw it away. Wrap it up in a napkin and stick it in the refrigerator. Let, let, let me tell you, listen, I'm not trying to provoke you, but if you're locked into this mentality, you will be provoked by the things I say, 
Because this mentality does not want you to succeed. This mentality does not want your relationships to deepen. This mentality does not want you to ever really believe that you have access to heavenly storehouses, that you have access to the God of angel armies that will move mountains on your behalf. This, this mentality does not want you to believe that the, cross, that the cross of Christ has given you access to the spirit of adoption that's now able to go into the darkest, most spiritually dense places in the world and release such piercing light that it'll cut through it generations. Generations worth. Mentality doesn't want you to believe that because this mentality says, just don't do anything to make any waves. Just keep your head down, mind your P's and your Q's, and maybe one day somebody will notice that you're awesome. (laughs) Don't rock the boat. Don't voice your opinion. Don't believe you can do anything more than your parents did. What makes you think that you're so special? You're not as smart as that person. You don't have access to what they have access to. You want to know what dismantles families? You want to know what robs people of real connection? It's existing in a way that empowers lies instead of surrenders to truth. If you believe that you're unlovable, and if you believe that the only thing you're worthy of is rejection, if you believe that you're deeply flawed and that anybody that gets close to you will eventually see your flaw and reject you, you're gonna have a hard time believing that God has poured into your heart the spirit of adoption and wants you to call him Abba, which is daddy. You're gonna have a really hard time believing that. You you might not have a problem confessing God as a father, but you're gonna have a really terrible time confessing him as your father. You're gonna have a really hard time receiving anything from anyone, including God. People that are locked into these two mentalities cannot receive gifts and cannot receive compliments because the first thing that they hear is, you don't deserve it. There was a season of my life that anytime anybody told me I did good at anything, the very first thought in my mind is, they are just being nice. There was a season in my life that anytime anybody said that I was good at something, I felt immediately that what they were doing was just trying to butter me up. It wasn't true. I remember I was at Pastor Mark Carrillo's house. Pastor Mark has been a true spiritual father to me. I'm very grateful for that man and his influence in my life. It was the first time I was at his house and we went to a room where his desk was and some books, a little study area. And I was looking at the bookshelf. It has been several years ago. And there was a book up there that I had been eyeing on Amazon. It was the complete works of John G. Lake. Anybody know who John G. Lake was? Awesome. Complete works of John G. Lake. Big book. And as soon as I saw it, I said, oh, because I had just been looking at it the week before. I said, you, you have that book. That's awesome. And he took it off the shelf and he showed me, he said, the church I was at before I came here, he said there was a fire. He said, and this book survived the fire. And if you look all along the outside of the pages, there's just, they've been discolored from the smoke. 
And he went like this to me with the book. And you know, the first thing I said was, I can't take that. And I'll never forget what he did. He just looked at me directly in my eyes. One of the most confused looks I've ever seen on anybody's face. And he said one word. Why? And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. And I realized that I had done this with the Lord time and time again. The Lord would say, this is for you. And I'd say, I can't accept that. Why can't I accept that? Because let me tell you what empowers an orphan and a poverty mentality in your life. Religion. And I was under it for a long time. What about you? Well, we're all just sinners saved by grace. You know what's wrong with that? If you say you're a sinner saved by grace and you still identify as a sinner today, you're not even believing what you've just quoted because you're a sinner saved by grace. What does that mean? You were drowning. Jesus got you out of the water, put you into the lifeboat, took you to shore, sat you down on the beach, but some Christians still want to flop around on the ground and think that they're drowning. And Jesus is giving them his hand saying, stand up. And we say, oh, I can't receive that. I can't receive that. That's your hand. It's your holy hand. It's your, I used it to pull you out of the water, hot rod. I've already touched you. Just take my hand and take the towel and dry yourself off and put on garments of a son. Put on garments of a daughter. Lose the slave mentality. Lose the onward Christian soldier. God wants to put me on the front line and all I am for him is a pawn in this cosmic chess game. I have, not, I have nothing wrong with you wanting to be a soldier for God, but here's the thing. You won't fight any good fights until you figure out you're a son. Soldiering's not your identity. Soldiering's not your identity. Soldiering is your vocation. Sonship is your identity. You're not earning tally marks for God. You can't do it. You can't do it. So if you exist in an orphan and a poverty mentality, the reason your relationship with God stinks is the exact same relationship, reason why your relationship with everybody else stinks. Because you believe things about you that are not true. So how do you deal with an orphan mentality, with a poverty mentality? Well, the first thing you gotta do is you have to stop believing a lie. And make a decision to believe what the word of God says about you. Simple. Simple to say, hard to do, amen? The other thing you have to do is you have to make a decision to do it more than once. People are good believing that the spirit of adoption has flooded into their hearts until they fail. Until they do something that the lie told them they would do. Let me help you out with something really quick. Everybody put your hand on your head like this. And I want you to say this. This is like a radio. It picks up information. But not everything it picks up is my favorite station. Put your hand down. Hi, family. If you were here with us during our midweek service last week, 
you know that at the end of the service we experienced an interruption. I want to talk to you for a minute about that interruption and to help you understand that in all of our lives we encounter people day in and day out that are dealing with pain, some more than others. But the same way in the natural that if you were to stub your toe, smash your finger, uh, all the little accidents in our lives that cause pain, there's usually some type of an outburst from you in regards to that pain. Now, we're Christians, so hopefully what comes out of our mouth is still in line with our core values of following Christ, but we all fall short, pastors included. Uh, But if you stub your toe, you smash your finger, there's usually an ow, or there's a man, or there's a a rats, whatever it is that your go-to expression or phrase. Sometimes it's just a yell, and that's caused because of, of pain. There's hurting people all around us. Uh, in every in every facet of life, church is no different, and sometimes that pain uh, is is uh, is brought to the the forefront or exposed in such a way from the truth that's coming forward through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes just trigger words that are linked to painful things in our past, and that pain sometimes is so intense that an outburst erupts, and that's what we dealt with on Wednesday. Was somebody struggling with hurt and pain um, that 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 resulted in an outburst in in the service and at a covering for everybody involved and just to honor in that situation I wanted to come back and provide a ending to this message and also set us up for our third part of the church's family series next week where I was going at this point in the service was talking about our minds and our minds picking up information like radios pick up radio waves We've got to make sure that whatever we're listening to in our mind is tuned into the truth of the scriptures and tuned into the truths found in the Father's heart for us and found in our heart from the Father. These truths are that we're adopted into his family as full-fledged sons and daughters, that we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ to partake in the amazing riches and wealth that he has prepared for us in Jesus. And we have to allow our minds to be renewed each day By tuning into truth and tuning out lies, the result of that, tuning into truth and tuning out lies, will be a robust and healthy relationship with God and our brothers and sisters in this family of faith. I look forward to joining you in our third part of the Church's Family Series as we continue on with what the Lord wants to share with us as a family. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for everybody listening to this message. And I pray, God, that by means of the Holy Spirit, you would lead them and guide them into all truth. Father, that they would reject the lie that they're flawed, that they're an orphan, that they would reject the lie, Father, that they're out of resources or out of luck, any lie of poverty in their life. And I thank you, Lord, that by listening to what you've placed on my heart today to share, that their eyes would be open. They would make room for the Holy Spirit to reveal to them that they're sons and daughters. And in doing so, God, they would grow in unity with you and unity with the family of faith called the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you so much. Be blessed.